Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Canada's dental care plan is out. I'm also talking about beer in corner stores, the current wave of COVID, bad news for toy stores. Eric Thomas takes checkers and chef Anna Olson talks holiday baking plans. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. The federal government has announced details of its new $13 billion Canadian dental care plan or CDCP. When somebody doesn't get the oral health care that they need, it means uh, they're going to have issues cardiovascularly, it means with diabetes or a myriad of other chronic disease and illnesses. So it isn't just about the social justice of somebody being able to wake up and go to work with a healthy smile. It's fundamentally about their health. Seniors over the age of 87 will be the first group that apply to join this plan, which is going to be phased in slowly over the next year. And this program is for people with an annual household income under $90,000 who don't have access to private insurance. And eligibility, from what we hear, is going to be slowly expanded over the course of next year to include all seniors who qualify, children under the age of 18, and people with disabilities. But... Is it the best plan possible, and is it being executed as it should? Dr. Brock Nicolucci is the president of the Ontario Dental Association and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Nicolucci, good morning. How are you? Not too bad, Rick. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for waking up with us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Your thoughts on this new Canadian dental care plan? Well, we the uh, Canadian uh, dental associations across the country, the provincial and territorial dental associations, were excited when the federal government announced this. But we had a lot of concerns, and one of the biggest concerns is that we weren't sitting at the table from the get-go. And it wasn't until the end of October where we finally went out in the public and we asked the pu- started educating the public and the media about our concerns where the federal government finally asked us to sit down and start having meetings with us. So having meetings in the 11th hour is not really the best way to develop a program in my mind. How did that happen? That's a question that I would love to, I'd love the answer to, too. So if you could ever find that out, I would love to hear it. <laughs> I'll let you know. Because a lot of dental care is preventative care, should we have started with children first as opposed to seniors over the age of 87? So how the federal government is unrolling, uh, rolling this out is they feel the seniors are the, are the ones that they want to get on board first. Children already have access to the Canadian Dental Benefit, so uh, that's up to 12 years. And they're, the way they're phasing it out is that under 18, they'll sign up the program later, and then people with disabilities as well. Okay, that makes sense. Is there anything missing from this plan? Well, we have a lot of questions. You know, one of the biggest questions we have is currently right now, two-thirds of Canadians have access to world-class dental care. I mean, outside of Canada, people look at Canada with our oral health system, and, you know, they're in awe. And so we want to protect people. You know, there's I have a lot of patients who have worked hard to have dental insurance, and they're in fear of losing it. So what is the government doing that? And one of the concerns we have as well along with those lines is, you know, there's only $13 billion, which is a lot of money, don't get me wrong, but that's over five years. If people start, like employers stop, start dropping their uh, dental benefits or the insurance, how big is that number going to get? Is that what Canadian taxpayers want right now? I mean, I don't know, you go down to the grocery store, look at how expensive everything is. That's the last thing I would want is increased taxes. So one of the thoughts I I was thinking about is that, uh, you know, there there could be a fear that some people with private insurance will move to this plan because A, they qualify, and B, maybe it's it's obviously more cost effective. They don't have to pay for that. But you're suggesting perhaps it's it's it, it could be the other case where companies say, eh, you know what, we're not going to offer private insurance because there's this free plan now. 
Exactly. And, you know, the concern we have, we don't have the details. And so we've had members of parliament and other people suggesting that, oh, give up your dental insurance, jump on the federal plan as soon as you can. We don't have an idea what this plan looks like. What does this include? A lot of people have really good dental insurance right now. Why give that up for a plan that you don't know anything about in hopes that it, it could be equal or better? Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Dr. Brock Nicolucci, the president of the Ontario Dental Association, and we're discussing Canada's new $13 billion Canadian dental care plan, the CDCP. $13 billion over five years, and then $4.4 billion ongoing after that. It sounds like a lot of money, but is it enough for the 9 million Canadians who currently qualify? And that's the big question that we all want to know. And until we roll out the program and see what it's actually going to cost, we don't know. And, you know, we brought to uh, the government a, a paper where we gave ideas of different plans, but they have uh, looks like they're going in a direction. So we, we'll have to wait and see if they listen to us or they don't listen to us. But considering that we're the dentists that are going to provide the treatment, I think it would be really important to listen to us. Yeah, that would make sense. Dr. Nicolucci, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your insight this morning. Have a great day. You too. Dr. Brock Nicolucci is the president of the Ontario Dental Association. Again, to qualify for the Canadian Dental Care Plan, you currently don't have any access to dental insurance. You have an annual adjusted family net income under $90,000. You must be a Canadian resident for tax purposes, obviously, and a tax return from the previous year must have been filed. So that's the the criteria right now to qualify for the CDCP. We'll continue to follow this story as uh, more details uh, become available and certainly as uh, people qualify for this new program. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. And it sounds like Ontario is planning to finally announce that beer, wine, cider, pre-mixed alcoholic drinks will be sold in corner stores starting in 2026. And that's, of course, going to end the restrictions that currently permit only the beer store to sell cases of 12 and 24. And here to talk about it is Dave Bryans, the CEO of the Ontario Convenience Stores Association. Dave, good morning. How are you? Good morning, and thanks for having me on. Your reaction to this story? Obviously. I mean, there's a lot of excitement in the world of small business today because, you know, after 15 years of Working on this file, we're finally going to see uh, potentially some great changes. Yeah, what? why has it taken so long? Is it just because of the, the, the grip that the beer store had? Well, I don't want I, I think past governments sort of moved it along a little bit. You know, they inched it along. That's why you, you can buy beer in some grocery stores, and you can take alcohol out from bars. So I think it's been, you know, just a slow political move, but... This now will be the biggest drastic change uh, for consumers, craft brewers, and small family businesses in Ontario. How big of an impact is it going to have for especially those mom-and-pop corner stores? Well, think of all the millions of people that now have to buy their 12s and 24s in beer stores on the weekend, uh, even on a hot summer weekend, can now have the opportunity to go to a local family store and purchase not only their beverage alcohol, but also their, you know, the uh, the incremental products like salty snacks, even a lottery ticket. Uh, so it will increase the in-store traffic and business immensely for small mom-pa shops throughout the province. I'm sure this announcement has some people concerned. You know, you, you can now go to a corner store to buy your beer. You know, cigarettes are there. You know, we're thinking of the children. There's going to be, you know, minors who are consuming this. How do you want to address that? 
Well, first off, we sell more age-restricted products than basically anybody, um, from tobacco to vaping to lottery um, and incinerary products like fireworks. And we are under the government scrutiny of age t- testing under the We Expect ID program. And the government does do over 20,000 mystery shops on, on convenience store operators every year, and we pass at 96.4%. So we have probably the highest pass rate of any retailer in North America at uh, being able to ensure that young people don't get age-restricted products. Dave Bryans is the CEO of the Ontario Convenience Stores Association, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHMLs. We're talking about uh, beer and wine and cider and other alcoholic drinks being sold in a corner store starting in 2026. So what happens between now and then? Well, there has to be some type of a transition. You know, what does distribution look like? What does recycling look like? What does age training look like? And what does rollout look like? You know, there are 8,500 stores. Of that, 6,000 are family-run stores. And, you know, who's going to get it first? You can't snap your fingers on January 1st, 226, and think beer is going to be in every convenience store. So, I mean, so we have to start working towards a transition. And um, and at, at the same time, you know, I've always advocated for the last 15 years we have to support the craft brewers in the province of Ontario. We have to be able to allow them to sell their products directly to convenience stores throughout the province because small business wants to help small business. In that transition, you mentioned recycling. Does it make the most sense, at least at this point, to retain what the beer store is doing in that regard? Definitely. I mean, and as Premier Ford has already said, the beer stores will pay a, uh, play a role in this. And they do a very good job at recycling. And who knows, maybe the province is going to put more recyclables uh, through the beer store as times change in, in, in society. And that certainly makes the most sense. They have done it for, for years. They do it well. It's a, a force of habits that when you have your empties, you know, you, you got to go to the beer store. But let me ask you this. The LCBO is out with some uh, stats from 2023 and how we have purchased, uh, you know, liquor this year. Uh, tequila up 44% over the last couple of years. Premixed cocktails, which will be sold at convenience stores, uh, along with seltzers and coolers, other ready-to-drink products, up by 10% compared to 2022. Canned cocktails jumping 40% this year. Do you expect now that there's going to be more options for the consumer, do you expect those numbers to go even higher in the years to come? Well, it is a changing consumer. Obviously, beer sales must be down if somebody if something's up. Um, and, you know, I've always advocated to put in convenience stores just beer, just craft beer, and just what's called ready-to-drinks, RTDs. Let, let's start there. And, you know, if I had my say at the table, finally, I'd say just cans only in convenience stores and make it very simple and easy to get this transit. And then in time, you know, we could add other products. What is, uh, when when these drinks are in convenience stores, what's going to be deleted? Because we're not going to see stores expand. What do you think comes off the shelf? Well, first off, I mean, for we, I mean, if you take the middle of the store, it's full of groceries and, you know, we'll fill in little things that you need on a weekend. So, you know, the middle of the store may, makes up about 10% of your total sales. It's the cobalt, the tobacco wall, the lottery machine, and the gasoline out front that makes up the majority of the volume and sales and traffic in a convenience store. So there will be an adjustment. Uh, you know, we have to put in some capital, and that will help to build, put in more coolers and be able to, re, you know, you're going to see us rebuild the stores. And keep in mind, convenience stores through North America are the largest seller of beer for the beer companies. So we really have a handle on on what the future mix will look like. And you can even add in a, you know, a food service component once people come for their cold beverages as well.
a lot more options coming to a local convenience store near you, especially starting in 2026 when uh, beer and other uh, tasty uh, drinks come to the store shelves. Dave, thanks for the time this morning. Thank you very much, and let's hope Thursday's a good day for all Ontarians. You got it. Dave Bryans is the CEO of the Ontario Convenience Stores Association. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We're less than two weeks away from Christmas, which we know is a popular time of the year for us to get together and, well, spread communicable diseases. Tis the season. (laughs) And with COVID-19, I don't mean to laugh, but with COVID-19 and RSV, on the rise, Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Kieran Moore, is urging you and everyone else to get vaccinated. Dr. Isaac Bogosh is an infectious diseases specialist and associate professor at the U of T and joins us now on GMH. Dr. Bogosh, good morning. Hey, good morning. Great to chat. So, what are we seeing now with COVID, RSV, and influenza? How are things proceeding? Yeah, we're, we're seeing a lot of it circulate right now in Ontario. Um, RSV and, and influenza are where they'd be expected to be at this time of year. But that, that doesn't mean it's okay because they're expected to be high and it's expected to grow in the weeks ahead, peaking sometime in early January. So, you know, if people haven't already received an influenza vaccine, a flu shot, it's a great time to go and get one. Free, widely available, um, helps reduce the risk of flu, helps reduce the risk of severe flu if you get it. Anyone age six months and older can get it. This has been around for decades and decades. And then from a COVID stand, COVID-19 standpoint, same deal. We're seeing a lot of COVID circulate right now. We're seeing people come into hospital with COVID-19. It's almost almost all people over the age of 65. So it's extremely important for people who are over 65. If you haven't received an updated COVID-19 vaccine, great idea to go out and get one. Uh, they'll reduce your risk of getting severe infections and, and uh, ending up in hospital. You can look at the data from everywhere on the planet that's recording data hospitalizations are disproportionately in those over the age of 65, and we have an under-vaccinated community in the 65 and up uh, cohort. Is there any anecdotal information or evidence on how the COVID vaccine uptake is? Uh, Yeah, I mean, if we look at the 65 and up crowd, uh, and we look at who's received a COVID-19 vaccine in the last six months, we're at about 42%. So, you know, there's significant room for improvement. I I think that's, that's the thing I'd harp on, because... That is who gets sick. That's who ends up in hospital. And and if we really want to get picky, it's overwhelmingly those over the age of 70. And if we really want to get extra picky, it's overwhelmingly those over the age of 80. The rates of hospitalization in those groups are, are rather high for COVID-19. And we know we can reduce the risk of hospitalization with these COVID-19 vaccines. I think it's about, if we look at everyone who's eligible, it's about 13% of people have received an updated uh, vaccine in the last six months, but it's. Uh, I think we really got to focus on those who are at greatest risk for severe infection, and that's the older Canadians. In saying that, too, you know, in a couple of weeks' time, a lot of people are going to be congregating, and we know these indoor social, uh, you know, settings are breeding grounds for these types of whether it's the flu or or COVID nineteen to, you know, to be shared amongst individuals. So it's. Uh, I would suggest it's either. Uh, it's also important for the younger crowd to get immunized as well. Yes, I, I would agree. And, you know, listen, it's the holidays. I don't think it's fair for anyone to say don't get together. I think, you know, obviously it's, it's a wonderful time. Uh, uh, and, and I hope people celebrate and enjoy themselves. But yeah, obviously, I think we just have to be cognizant of um, there are some people who are more vulnerable than others. And, um, you know, we don't want to go and get anyone sick. So if people are sick, you know, stay home. If your kids are sick, keep them home. 
it's not it's not fair to go and get other other people sick. I think one of the issues, though, is you know earlier on in the COVID nineteen pandemic, the vaccines did a remarkable job, a remarkable job, in terms of stopping infection and blocking or reducing the risk of onward transmission. They did a, they really did a good job, but as the virus mutated, the vaccines continue to do a remarkable job in terms of protecting people against severe manifestations of the virus, they do a less remarkable job protecting us from the infection and transmitting. It still has some effect, but not nearly as much as they used to. And I think we have to update our messaging and just be transparent with the data in real time. You can't have people think that they're going to get a vaccine and not get COVID uh, and and, and then not trust science or, or public health because a lot of people who are vaccinated, of course, are going to get COVID, but they're just not going to get they're much, much, much less likely to get severe manifestations of the virus. They still will be afforded some protection against the infection for a period of time, but not nearly as much as they used to. That's been one of the misconceptions with the flu vaccine for years as well, is, oh, if I get the vaccine, I'm not going to get the flu. Well, that's not necessarily true. Of course it's not true. I mean, if you look at the effectiveness of the vaccines year over year for influenza, on a bad year, it can be something like 13 to 15 percent effective. On a good year, you might be 50 to 60 percent effective. Okay, that's a huge range. And that's a far cry from 100 percent. What we do know is if you look at people who are hospitalized or people who die from influenza, and let's remember, there's about a half a million deaths per year on the planet from influenza, you are much, much, much less likely to end up in hospital or dead if you've been vaccinated versus if you have not. And of course, it does still reduce your risk for infection, just not 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 100%. Anyone out there who's actually had influenza, I'm not talking about the sniffles, I'm not talking about a little cough, I'm talking about true influenza, would know how awful it is, how it can flatten you. And personally, I would take a 30% reduction in risk of having to deal with that anytime. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people have forgotten how serious and how debilitating getting the flu can be because there was at, at least a year early on in the pandemic, we didn't have any flu cases. Exactly. I mean, and let's remember why. Some people say, oh, it's because we all masked. That was certainly a component of it. But remember, influenza circulates around the world, and global travel plummeted, yeah. plummeted. Uh, so we had very little in the way of global uh, human mobility. We had people working from home. We had many schools canceled or people learning from home. We had many businesses canceled. We had masking. So there was a combination of many, many different, um, you know, different implement things that were implemented that prevented respiratory viral transmission. Lastly, for we got about a minute. You mentioned the on you know in a bit in a in a great year the flu vaccine will be about you know fifty to sixty percent effective. Do we have a percentage of effectiveness for the most recent COVID vaccine? No, it's hard to know because that has rec- has just been released, and we know the virus, of course, continues to mutate. It's silly to play an arms race because the virus is always going to win in an arms race against building vaccines and, and the virus mutating. However, I think it's very fair to say that, it, it, you know, no matter what form of the virus we've seen, no matter what variant or sub-lineage of Omicron we've seen, and no matter what vaccine we've seen every single time, the vaccine continues to stand up in terms of reducing the risk of severe manifestations of the virus, like hospitalization and death. It does, and it's most prominent in those who are at greatest risk for hospitalization and death. That's why it's so important for people who have not yet been vaccinated or over the age of 65 to go out and get that vaccine.
Dr. Bogosh, always appreciate your time here on the show and uh, educating our listeners on uh, these uh, viruses and uh, other infectious diseases. My pleasure. Have a great day. You too. That's Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious diseases specialist, associate professor at the University of Toronto. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Toy stores, toy companies are struggling as parents hunt for bargains. So much so that Hasbro is the latest to announce that it is cutting its labor force by 20%, 1,100 jobs gone. The job cuts are on top of 800 positions that were already cut this year by Hasbro. What is going on in the toy industry? Marvin Ryder is a professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University and joins us on GMH. Marvin, good morning. Good morning. This is a big yikes for the toy industry. What's going on? Well, I don't know how I'd call it a big yikes. Uh, There are two problems with selling toys. Problem number one is to figure out what consumers want each year. Uh, Novelty drives consumers. And so, for instance, this is the year of Barbie. Hasbro doesn't have Barbie. uh, And so those fortunes are worse. But next year, Barbie won't be the it toy. Something else will be. So Hasbro's challenge is always to innovate and try to find that toy that everybody wants to give. The, the other challenge that's going on here, of course, is I, I think it's really the rise of Amazon. Now, and that leads to two things. First is that when people shop in a bricks and mortar store, they've always got their phone handy. So I'm looking around and, I, oh, I see something I like for my, my child. I, I wonder what the price of it is on Amazon. So you whip out your phone and compare prices. And it puts a lot of pressure on retailers to have a price that is similar Uh, The other thing that's happening, of course, is that with Amazon, everybody and their brother, much like they have a Costco membership, now have an Amazon Prime membership. Why is that important? Well, you do it because you probably want the videos and the music, but it also gets you discounts on shipping. So once upon a time when we would order something from Amazon, you'd have to say, oh, will it arrive in time? Will it be here? And what's the cost of the shipping? Yeah, that's a great price, but I have to pay 10 bucks to have it shipped. I'd rather buy the thing in the store because more and more people have Amazon Prime memberships. They're able to reduce the cost of shipping. And Amazon, in turn, is also finding faster ways to get it to your home. So we're seeing a lot more competition on bricks and mortar stores through uh, online stores like Amazon. I think most people, too, who have an Amazon membership and, as you said, probably got it just to watch, you know, Amazon Prime Video, but also, hey, I'm spending this money anyways. Why not just shop at Amazon? I can get a discount on delivery. Right. And then what this leads then to this idea of comparison shopping, where people used to ask the question, is it worth my while to go from one physical store to another? Oh, I'm not going to drive all the way to this mall or that mall. Look, that's a good enough price. I'll buy it. But now you're sitting in the store. This is what we're seeing actually in the stores. You're there. You're looking at an item. Do I take it off the shelf? And then we've also seen people, (laughs) uh, if you will, buying it as a backup plan. So the first thing they'll ask a retailer is, what's your return policy on this? I'm going to buy one because I'm not sure the Amazon delivery will arrive on time. (laughs) But if it does, I'll keep the Amazon item and I'm going to bring this item back to the retail store. So even once I make a sale, if if I have a return policy, I may not be able to keep that sale once the Amazon product arrives. And that's the strategy. I don't think it's so much that this is a, a difficult year for retailers. There's a lot of people who want to say, oh, it's a difficult economy. Things are bad all over. 
And really, it's not. We're not seeing any sign of it in the United States this year might might cross Christmas shopping might cross one trillion dollars. Wow. The best estimate at the moment is nine hundred and eighty billion. But you don't need much variation from that to get you to one trillion dollars. It could be a record year of shopping. The economy is not doing that badly, but our behavior is what's changed. So still with high interest rates, we're still going out and shopping for toys. We are. Now, they are relatively high, Rick. I guess that's worth noting. Yeah. The interest rates we now have in Canada and in the United States are actually the pretty much the normal that we've seen over the last 150 years. Yes, they are much higher than they were just a couple of years ago when COVID was on, but everyone forgets that those interest rates were dramatically cut to try to keep the economy going. Now, they are probably going to be higher than they'll be a year from now. We actually think by this time next year, 2024, interest rates will be down maybe a full percentage point uh, cheaper. But the, whether it's 4% or 5%, people are going to spend the money. That's not enough to make a difference. The credit card rate might, but credit card rates haven't changed at all during this period. Marvin Ryder is our guest, a professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. We have 90 more seconds. What is the impact? We, we've, we've talked about you know, Hasbro and Amazon, some of the other big players. When it comes to mom-and-pop shop toy stores, they must be really struggling, or are they? Some of them are. Some of them definitely are because of this idea that they're not just competing against other bricks-and-mortar stores that they know, <clears throat> but they're competing in this online world. Again, the trick, though, is to make up what you can't do on price on service. So I suspect what you're going to see is shoppers now over the next, what have we got left, two weeks uh, until Christmas, you're going to see a lot of people who left their shopping a little late, can't take the risk of something being delivered in time for Christmas. You don't want to disappoint those little faces. So they're going to get a lot of last minute demands and how they respond to it will speak volumes as to what kind of a Christmas season they're going to have. It'll be interesting to see. Marvin, thank you for your time this morning. Glad to be with you. Marvin Ryder is a professor in the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University, has his finger on the pulse of what is happening in and around, uh, well, toy stores and the business world in general. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, for decades, if you wanted to get your fix of auto racing, you listened to Raceline Radio. It was like going to church on Sunday because every night on Sunday... At 8 o'clock, right here on 900 CHML, host Eric Thomas provided listeners with a complete rundown of what happened in auto sports. He offered analysis of why it went down the way it did and spoke to the biggest and best in the sport. And this past Sunday, Eric completed his final ever lap on Raceline Radio and, of course, took the checkered flag. When checkers fly, for the final time, we say goodbye from all of us at Raceline Radio. I'm Eric Thomas signing off. It has been a pleasure. Well, the pleasure was all ours, and we invite Eric Thomas, the host of Raceline Radio, to our airwaves once again here on GMHET. Good morning. Good morning, RZ. Thank you uh, for the opportunity to do this. Yeah, it's been a it's been a phenomenal run, and uh, it's it's time to let you know, some younger guys uh, take this baton and, and carry it over the uh, over the next horizon. Forty eight years in broadcasting, radio and TV. Thirty one of those Raceline Radio, and I'm seventy one next month. So it's time for me to uh, to park it and uh, let someone else drive it around. So uh, it's and with, without CHML nine hundred CHML U and, and the management and you know Jeff Story and everybody taking us in, saying you know don't drive to 
<clears throat> to Toronto every Sunday night when we were doing a little bit of a shuffle in terms of where we were physically. Mm-hmm. You said, come on in here to CHML and do the show from you know Sunday nights at 8 o'clock. And, and without you guys and your operators and the, the traffic department, everybody there, you know, Becky, and, and everybody in the, the engineering staff, this would not have been possible. So CHML has been an integral part of our history for so very long, and I'm forever in your debt for allowing us to do that. Well, we are we are very happy to be part of this iconic and historic show, and I'm not sure how we're going to stuff all that I want to stuff in the next five minutes, but we'll try to anyways. How, how did Raceline begin? Well, we had been doing Raceline Motorsport Television. I had been doing Toronto Radio for, for a while. I had done some NHL play-by-play hockey with the Leafs on Global, and we had I had been doing morning sports at... CFTR and the Mix 99.9, and I had been working for Bruce Mellenbacher and the late John Massingbird um, with Raceline Motorsport Television, and the idea there on TSN was to televise auto racing events in Canada that normally don't get televised. We always had this idea that we wanted to do a radio companion program because I had always been plugged into all kinds of them in the U.S., but there wasn't one in Canada, and quite honestly, you had to wait for the papers to come out to figure out who won races where and how and interviews with, with drivers, and I thought, there's got to be a better way to do that. And I said, let's get Raceline Radio started uh, by providing the results from the racing from a weekend in a timely manner. Let's interview the stars, but more importantly, let's make sure that we emphasize Canadian driving talent and Canadian events. So we, we put the, the demo together with Scott Goodyear and launched it with, with, uh, with at that time, CJCL 1430 in Toronto, and just as we hit the air, the Indian Toronto had, had really been popular and was really, really huge. You know, Canadians involved in that thing. And we hit the wave at the right time. They stuck us on the air. They became the Fan 590 and our, our friends there. And we've been sort of housed out of that for a while. And then you guys were, again, an integral part of, of how we do the show. So that's where it started. To get the fans out there a little more timely results and timeline and access to the stars that you weren't getting before because it was only in newspapers and magazines up to that point. That's basically how it started. You've talked to so many amazing auto sports drivers, administrators, officials. Did you have, do you have a favorite guest? Well, I I think, wow, there's there's a whole bunch of them. I think uh, drag racer John Forrest, simply because of, of his, ability to entertain you ask him one question he's gone for 20 minutes it's one of those amazing <laughs> oh no everybody knows who that guy is i think the penultimate guest though had to be mario andretti the winningest driver at least of my era of my generation formula one champion indycar champion won the daytona 500 and the indy 500 there wasn't a guy that won more races and more championships than that guy i had the pleasure of having regular access to mario andretti i've used this analogy before rick if you were doing a, a, a baseball show, you could have Babe Ruth on the air, Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, all those guys, a hockey show, access to you know, Rocket Richard and, and all the stars. By having Mario Andretti on the air with us on a fairly regular basis was certainly a highlight. And it all culminated the night that I was inducted into the Canadian Motorsport Hall of Fame. Mario Andretti was the guest speaker that night. He came across the floor to our table and congratulated me on my induction into the Hall of Fame. So that had to be the, the, the grand highlight of 31 years of Raceline Radio, covering the Indy live trackside in Toronto, getting the winner on the air, live on the air when there's a crowd going crazy, 
is the penultimate of any kind of a broadcast experience, and we had we had that happen to us numerous times. So I think Mario Andretti had to be the, the favorite guest. All kinds of great stars, you know. And I've interviewed them all, Rick. I've done NHL guys, NFL guys, CFL guys, you know, baseball players. The athletes that drive the cars in our sport are some of the best people on this planet in terms of cooperation, in terms of being great guests. And in that regard, the show was kind of easy to do because the drivers understood that we're doing a job, and without the fans' interest, they don't have a game. And we were part of that game, and we're very, very thankful for that. That's very true. In our final minute together, I know a lot of our listeners are probably thinking, well, now what? What are you going to be up to? Well, I, uh, exactly at this point, I'm not exactly sure because I, what I want to do is simply relax and, and not be worried about having to do a Sunday deadline show. Am I going to miss it? Of course I will. Um, I don't know. There, there, there may be the possibility of doing some, some kind of part-time work, whether, whether it's a podcast, something else like that. You also may know, too, that I'm a professional musician, and with the show I wasn't able to get out and do a whole lot of music. I may want to try to do that. You know, and and maybe revisit that. I mean, seventy-one years old is going to have to be a you know kind of a <laughs> a soft kind of a gig where I'm not loading heavy gear in and out of the <laughs> of the car every every night. You know what I mean? So maybe doing something like that, but just spending time with the family, doing some traveling that you couldn't do because you know when the racing season's on, man. You know, you're, you're pretty much a one man band and you're working seven days a week. Just going to get away from it and just let uh, let some younger guys do it. But uh, it's been a, a labor of love all this time, and uh, to be partnered with you guys has been the highlight of 31 years, and again, we thank you so kindly for all of that. Eric, you sang a great tune for the better part of five decades. Uh, we can't thank you enough for uh, bringing us the automotive news that uh, many listeners uh, craved each and every Sunday night. Uh, congrats on a stellar career. Uh, enjoy the uh, top place on the podium, and we'll talk to you soon. Rick, you've been a special friend, and uh, we'll, we'll connect. We'll see you down the road somewhere. And listen, I'll see you in the grandstands at the racetracks, not up in the press box. Thanks so much, my friend. Always a pleasure to be on. You got it. Eric Thomas, longtime host of Raceline Radio. We're going to have uh, some best of shows for the next Sunday here on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. How is your holiday baking plans progressing? As we know, this time of the year, whether it's Christmas or Hanukkah, whatever you are celebrating, Happy Holidays Hamilton is bringing you all the best of the season. And today we're focusing on holiday baking. Here to talk about it is uh, the one and only chef Anna Olson, pastry chef, host of TV shows like Bake with Anna Olson and the great chocolate showdown. Chef Anna, good morning. How are you today? I'm great, Rick. Good morning to you. As I mentioned, the holiday season is rife with baking and people uh, making these sweet treats. Is there a go-to recipe that you have that year in and year out is without fail, easy to do, and makes a big hit? Well, you know what? I think, Rick, my answer goes back to having good memories of my grandmother's cherry walnut icebox cookies. And I feel like my cookie tins aren't complete without that addition. So it's a simple icebox cookie made with butter and icing sugar. An egg yolk is added, which is why it's not technically a shortbread. (laughs) You add an egg or baking powder, it's not shortbread. Um, Flour, but I stir in uh, cherry. I use dried cherries now and some walnuts and chill it. And it's a great make-ahead because you can make it, shape it, and then you just slice and bake when you have time to do it. There is, as we know, a lot of stress with the holidays. People buying presents, hosting parties or going to parties, maybe traveling in bad weather, and people still love to bake. Um, How do we eliminate some of that stress in the kitchen by baking something that, uh, again, is easy but still very tasty? 
Um, yeah, a little bit of planning can go a long way when it comes to making your holiday desserts. And I think a recipe that I know I'll be ma- making because it's my mom's favorite, um, but it's also something that can feed a larger group with minimal effort and minim- without a need of fancy tools or equipment is sticky toffee pudding. Uh, you soak dates, and that's what gives the cake moisture and the delicious flavor. It doesn't require complicated ingredients. And dates, uh, you know, we're all being aware of what we're spending on our holiday celebrations. And I love that this is one of the more cost-effective desserts you can make, too, because it's the dates that lend the moisture. Um, And my recipe for, I'm just actually looking at my recipe for sticky toffee pudding right now. It only (laughs) calls for a quarter cup of butter. And that will feed 12 to 16 people easily. Um, for a single recipe. And so that's a great option. Make ahead. You serve it warm with a toffee sauce, or you can even take eggnog and almost use that as a custard sauce to serve with oh, it. Wow. The more you're describing these recipes, the more I really wished you were in studio with some free samples. That would have been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> chef Anna Olson is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, iconic pastry chef, and you can check her out online at annaolson.ca. And also invite you to pick up her latest book, Anna Olson's Baking Wisdom. And that wisdom is passed along from generation to generation. Some tips on baking with kids during the holidays. Yes, planning those activities. And while making candy sounds like a fun activity, like making sponge toffee, boiling sugar is not the task to do with kids. But as much as you can have things pre-prepared, decorating cookies, I think, is the simplest thing to do. Um, You can have the cookies baked, have your assortment of toppings, uh, a few simple icing recipes. You're all set to go. And you can find... These great recipes um, on Stack TV, all of my bake episodes and Chocolate Showdown, if you want to get inspired with chocolate, are on Stack TV. You can catch those. But those little make-ahead cookies, that's the best thing to do. I was just deciding if to make a little gingerbread house. Um, My granddaughter, I have two granddaughters. One is just turned two. So this will be the first really excitable Christmas holiday. So I really can't wait for this year's celebration. That sounds exciting. And I think you have inspired many of our listeners to head into the kitchen and bake their holiday favorites ASAP. Chef Anna, thanks for the time today. Oh, thank you for making time. Cheers. That is Chef Anna Olson, pastry chef host of TV shows like Bake with Anna Olson. As she mentioned, the great chocolate showdown online at AnnaOlson.ca and the author of her latest book, Anna Olson's Baking Wisdom. Pick it up in your favorite bookstore. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.